You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. What is up, gang? Welcome into Packers Total Access. I'm your host, Clayton Bailey. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. And we've got a fun show lined up for you guys today. Uh, first of all, hopefully there's not too much noise in the background. Um, we've got the construction complete here on the studio and basically tore down an entire exterior wall, put up some huge French doors where we can open it up. It kind of turns the studio into an all-season room, if you will. I wanted that for the fall and the winter, so when I'm watching football, I'm kind of weird, man. I don't know. If there's a cold game, like at Lambeau, you know, me being down here in the south in Tennessee, I like to kind of get that effect. I would always open the window up, get the room kind of cold, like what it would be like in the stadium. Call me a geek. I know it's kind of weird, but I don't know, man. It's just uh, just kind of adds to that ambiance, I guess you could say, for a football team or a football game, rather. So that's why we opened this up. So on the big screen in here, we've got a a 75-inch big screen, and and I wanted it to feel like we're sitting at Lambeau here in the fall and in the winter. Um, So we got those doors open today. Birds are singing. Hopefully, like I said, there ain't too much background noise, but... Um, we're going to try this and see uh, see if it's annoying or not because I'm telling you right now, there's nothing better than sitting out here on this deck and cutting a podcast other than the neighbors probably looking at me like, what? who is he talking to? That guy's off his rocker. But uh, anyway, the show today, we've got a, we've got a dandy for you. Um, I actually stumbled onto <clears throat> um, some information, and I've been doing this a lot here lately. I don't, you know, the last episode for for the Packers history segment, we brought you Jimmy Taylor, right? And and you know, there's not many stories in Packer history that are better than Jim Taylor. I mean, the guy was just an absolute stud at fullback, um, stand up dude, hard nose, played the game the right way. All those cliches that you hear, they always ring true when it comes to Jimmy Taylor. Um, but I, I'm trying to bring you guys information that maybe you didn't already have. You know, I'm sure everybody heard of Jim Taylor for the most part. Maybe some of the younger fans. Um, you know, might not have, but uh, I want to bring you guys stories and kind of breathe a little bit of life back into the Packers history um, from from the angle in which, you know, some stories have been lost, right? There's some people that were very, very vital to the founding of the Packers and, and its survival throughout the years that just don't get talked about much. And, and we got great feedback about George Calhoun. I was I knew there were going to be people that didn't know about George Calhoun, but I had no idea there were going to be that many people. And and to me, it's just further confirmation that we're on the right track because, you know, I, I heard on a documentary on the on the Packers Legacy documentary, one of the historians said there's a lot of people that are that have been forgotten in this great great story of the Green Bay Packers, and I feel like it's my responsibility to write them back in the history books and. And that's kind of how I feel. And I'm not trying to be egotistical or say that I'm on their level. Lord knows I'm nowhere near uh, Cliff Crystal and and some of those other historians for the Packers. But I just want to do my part and kind of contribute in that regard of saying, hey, look, you know, here's a person that let me show you. Let me tell you what they did to help found the Packers. Right. And uh, and make sure that they're not forgotten moving forward. And and it also, to me, it provokes people to do their own research. And I always end the show with saying that, you know, when we end the seg- history segment, go dive into it yourself. You know, go go see if you could. Guys, you may find more information than me. And if you do, please, please, please tag me on Twitter 
and send it to me because this is the stuff that I just love studying. Um, and it's a great conversation piece. You know, one of the best follows on Twitter, in my opinion, is I think it's at Packers History. OK, um, go check that out. I think he's got somewhere around four to five thousand followers. I don't know how he doesn't have every Packer fan following him. And I, my goal is to have him on the show soon. But he's always posting things like that, you know, Packers history related. And it is it's our responsibility to carry on this tradition for the people that, that laid the foundation for the Green Bay Packers and, and the very first Packer backers and stock stockholders and all that. So on the show today, we've got another forgotten person who was instrumental in the founding of the Green Bay Packers. And that's Mr. C.M. Neil Murphy. And I knew who Neil Murphy was vaguely, and I could not find any information. I couldn't find anything on Wikipedia, nothing, right? And I found out later that there's Packers on uh, on the Packers history um, side of Packers.com. There was a little bit of information. But I stumbled onto a documentary, and, and I mean stumbled onto it. I was sitting here watching a Packers video, and you know how on YouTube it'll link you to another another video that's somewhat similar, right? Yeah, I know sometimes they're not similar. One time I fell asleep. I'll never forget this. I was watching, I think I was watching Any Given Sunday, and I fell asleep. And I wake up at 4 a.m., and there are Native Americans dancing around on my screen. And it was a slideshow, and and my dog was staring. I'll never forget my dog Lambo was looking at me like, what in the heck are we watching? But you know how sometimes YouTube will link you to random videos. But in this case, I'm sitting here. The video I was watching went off, and all of a sudden I'm like, this guy, who is this guy right here? And what's and, and I heard him say CM Neil Murphy and I was like, oh my gosh, how how awesome is this to just randomly be linked to another video that's talking about a guy that I had been looking for information on. So anyway, long story short, it was his son. And his son basically laid out their story. And he did it so, you know, I, I mean, he was so precise and size and, and so uh uh, I don't know how to say it. You know, it, it was it was a very short documentary, but it was straight to the point, right? And he tells the story of C.M. Neil Murphy. So I'm going to give you guys some information on him. It's going to be an awesome segment because these are things that I did not know. And then on top of that, we're going to wrap up the show. We're going to have Jacob from Packernet Podcast come on with us, guys. And we're going to break down the 53-man roster. And you're sitting here going, Clayton, you have lo- your, your neighbors are right. You've lost your mind. It is May. Why are we talking about the 53-man roster? I'll tell you why. I don't believe there's anyone else that does Packer podcasts or anybody online that focuses on the end first, right? And that's what we want to do. Guys, we got another set of OTAs coming up this week. If I'm not mistaken, it's going to be this week starting Monday. There's going to be another set of OTAs. We're going to start with the end in mind. What I want our listeners to do is to go into OTAs, and especially training camp when it gets here in July and uh, and mandatory camp and all that there in June. I want you to go into those already with a mindset of, okay, here's most likely, barring any crazy injuries and barring anyone starting on the pup list, here are the five or six players that I really need to be focused on as far as reports coming out of camp because these are going to be the positions that there's truly an opportunity. Everybody says and uses the cliche of, you know, Everybody got everybody's got to make the club. Nobody's a shoe in. Okay, whatever. And then they'll say, well, no, the starters from last year were a shoe in, but but other than that, nobody's a shoe in. Okay, you can look at contracts and really go, okay, there's no way they're cutting that guy. Okay, there's no way they're cutting that guy. There's no way they wasted a draft pick just to cut them in year one, right? If at all possible, they want to keep those draft picks on the roster. So we want you to go into camp with the end in mind first, okay? And that's what we're going to do. We're going to break down our 53-man roster, 
Uh, Jacob and I have not talked about our results. We've texted a little bit back and forth, but we haven't said, hey, look, here's how my 53 lines up because we want it to be 100% organic as, as it unfolds so we can have true conversations on, okay, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't looking at that position. I didn't, I, you know, I, I didn't even think about it. We might need to carry seven wide receivers, things like that, right? So that's what we're going to break down on today's episode. So first things first, I'm really excited about this segment, guys. Let's get right into it. Mr. C.M. Neil Murphy. All right, you're probably like me and going, who was C.M. Neil Murphy? You know, we, we covered everybody from Turnbull to, to, you know, a little bit of Curly Lambo. We haven't hit that episode completely yet. Uh, George Calhoun. I mean, all the way down the line, right? We've talked about all these, these, these men, and, and in some cases women, that were instrumental in founding the Green Bay Packers. C.M. Neil Murphy is right there at the top. If you guys watch the movie Leatherheads that I've promoted on here, it told you you need to check out. You can kind of see what team managers did back then. Scheduling of the games, handling the money. There's a really funny character. They get to play that part in Leatherheads. Really, really cool. But C.M. Neil Murphy was, uh, was actually the town team manager. Okay, so the packing company had a town team, right? The Indian Meat Packing Company called the Packers. And... He was the team manager for 1919 and 1920, guys. He was the very first team manager. And just a little background about him. I believe he grew up in Chicago. It's hard to find information on him. I'm pretty sure I heard his son say he grew up in Chicago, but he moved to Green Bay, and he was a local typewriter salesman, okay? They actually talked about how he had this love for sports, not just football, but baseball as well. He was one of these guys that was obsessed with forming teams. And I think it's so cool because if you guys were like me growing up, um, you know, we, we were always trying to put together a ball team. Yeah, we had our leagues. We had Little League. We had Senior League. We had high school, all that stuff, right? And I was a baseball player, for you, you guys that don't know. Um, I, I had a, a partial scholarship offer uh, for uh, for two different colleges, Tennessee Westland, and then a, a small a small college in, in Kentucky called Alice Lloyd. And unfortunately, with with my family's background, we had zero dollars, right? Um, and uh, when they said, "Yeah, we'll pay you know pay for fifty percent of your tuition," they might as well have said zero. It was not an option, right? And and I knew that I did not want to take out a loan to go to college. We talked about this a little bit on the live broadcast the other night, but um, it's just something that. Yeah, I, I, there's no way that you were going to convince me to take out a loan, borrow money, to go to school for four more years, and I didn't even know what I wanted to do with my life. So <laughs> anyway, um, that's kind of uh, you know my, my baseball history, if you will. But we were always trying to form... Uh, you know, a team, a Sandlot team, or whatever. Hey, you know, let's reach out to a couple guys one town over and see if they'll come play with us, and we'll lock arms with Everett's and try to play them. We were always doing that stuff, and that's how Neil Murphy was. He actually formed a baseball team in 1911, right? And he was the manager of that team. You could just tell this was something he was passionate about. Well, at the end of World War One, you know, uh, teams were forming all across the country. Guys were coming back from the war, and and all these teams just started to sprout up. And I can only imagine what that would be like at the time because you know you didn't have a whole lot of entertainment choices and just to catch wind from someone like a George Calhoun at the Press Gazette saying hey we're having a ball a ball game across uh, across town you know bring your family come check it out I can only imagine what that environment was like and again Leatherheads does a great job kind of capturing that but uh it, you know it all started when Curly came back into town from Notre Dame you guys know a real brief backstory. He went to Notre Dame for one year, got sick, came back home. He met with George Calhoun. George Calhoun was actually the person. It's very important to understand. George Calhoun was the person that pitched it to Curly. Curly didn't pitch it 
to George Calhoun. Curly, and I'm not trying to downplay Curly. Curly's my probably my favorite figure in Green Bay history. He's just got such a colorful story. But it was George Calhoun that said, hey, you ever thought about putting a, putting a ball team together? All right, well, why don't you meet me over here at the Press Gazette building? Well, at that meeting was Neil Murphy. Neil Murphy was the local businessman, right? He was someone who was very, very savvy in operating a business, being a local typewriter salesman, okay? So they obviously elected Curly the captain, him being the great athlete he was. George Calhoun would be the publicity director, and obviously he used the Press Gazette to kind of promote the team. And then Neil Murphy was the manager. Okay, so you're probably saying, okay, what's the man? In, in baseball, the manager kind of handles the roster and makes uh, makes substitutions and pitching changes and all that. Not the same manager, okay? Not the same type of manager at all. And what Neil Murphy did was he handled the scheduling, okay? He made sure there were teams lined up that were going to play against the Packers. Um, he also worked the calendar for Curly. It was it was like one of these things like, okay, Curly being the team captain, all right, man, look, the, the, I, I spoke to this manager two towns over, and he's uh, he said they have this date open. Can you make that work, Curly? Okay, check with the guys. And he done all the scheduling behind the scenes. He worked the calendar for Curly. And he also handled all the money for the team. And I think this is very important because, guys, you got to understand, Curly Lambeau was extremely young. He came right back from – I mean, he was basically one year removed from high school. I don't know about you guys, but one year out of high school, Clayton Bailey was an absolute idiot. I'm telling you right now. I didn't know whether to crap or go blind, so I would close one eye and four. I had no idea how the world operated. Thank God. I feel like people were put in my life to kind of nudge me along put a boot in my butt. I moved in with my brother, um, who was, uh, you know, fre somewhat fresh out of the army. He'd served in desert storms. So he was someone that was like, listen, dude, you know, if we're going to live together, um, you're, uh, you're going to, you're going to pull your weight and you're not going to act like a moron. I couldn't tell you how many times he cuffed me in the back of the head and thank God he did. But also got linked up with some business owners down in uh, an area called Knoxville, Tennessee, where the Vols play. Not a Vols fan at all. Hate the fans. They're the worst fans in the world, but that's a story for a different show. But anyway, um, I, I understand at an early age what it was like to operate a business and what all went into it. And just having someone like a, uh, uh, you know, a Neil Murphy to kind of come in, like I said, and work that calendar for a, a young Curly Lambeau who had no idea what he was doing. Imagine all the other players coming back from World War I. Guys, they were, they were just happy to be alive. They had seen the worst of the worst over there. They'd seen friends die right, right in front of their eyes. And, and they said that they, they drank a lot while they were at war. They did a lot of things. They partied hard in their downtime because it's the only way you could cope with it back then. Right. So they're coming back. Obviously, they're not going to handle the money. You know what I'm saying? So Neil Murphy was essential to the Packers, uh, you know, surviving those first two seasons. So he's, he handled all the money. He was the real business manager. OK, when I say manager, he was a business manager for the team. That's that's very, very important. OK, so it was Neil Murphy Murphy who actually had the business sense and foresight to lease Hegemeister Park. You know, you've heard me say that Hegemeister Park was the first field that they played at. It was basically this this little wooded area, and they had some clearing uh, spots where, you know, it's very close to downtown Green Bay today on the east side of the Fox River. Um, he he found that property. He leased out Hegemeister Park. It cost him $100 for him to lease it for the entire 1919 season, okay? Um, you could only imagine who who else could have handled that. You know, Neil Murphy was the perfect person to handle that. And they they had the field le uh, leased out, uh, but he added one stipulation to the to the owners of Hegemeister Park. 
He said, the only way that we'll lease it out for $100 is if you allow me to build a fence around the field. And he knew as a business owner, he knew we have got to find a way that we charge people other than just passing the hat or this is not going to last. Okay. So they, they allowed him to build a fence around the field so he could charge admission. He actually hired, this is a cool story. He hired Curly Lambeau's father, who was a local contractor to oversee the, uh, the building of the fence. And what did they do? He had George Calhoun. This is uh, knowing your strengths, knowing your assets. And this is something we're kind of learning with Packernet podcasts is we're, we're all starting to develop this, uh, uh, this sense of what what each of us are good at, what are our strengths and weaknesses, and how can we kind of take this thing to the next level. And uh, it's very, very important in any kind of you know endeavor, whether it's uh, profit or nonprofit or whatever. But he knew, okay, George Calhoun has access to the Press Gazette. He's as fired up as anybody about this team. Let's have him run an ad in the paper asking every young man in the Green Bay area that wants to contribute to bring a, ha- a hammer to Hegemeister Park and help with the construction. Think about that, guys. He had the fans. He had Neil Murphy, had George Calhoun run an ad in the paper, okay? He hired Curly Lambeau's father to oversee it. Hey, look, you draw it out, you lay out the fence line, and then let's get the fans to come over and help with free labor. He basically had the fans provide free labor to build a fence around the field so he could charge them to walk through it. (laughs) I mean, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. So the first season, this is what the fence did. The first season, Neil Murphy was able to pay each player $16 for the entire season, guys. They got paid $16 for the entire season. Each player, anyone who contributed to the team, that included managers, things like that, everybody got an even $16. Well, because he had the foresight to see about building that fence around the field and charging fans to come in, in 1920, he was able to pay the players and everyone else associated with the team $276 per player, per person in the organization. I mean, that's a huge jump, $16 to 276 all because this man was a business owner and he had, you know, a little bit of vision and said, hey, look, we, the first step we need to make is how do we maximize our profit so we can keep this thing going? And what's cool is, you know, that was a small team. They, they played a lot of people like Racine Athletic Club, places like that, that first season. Obviously, none of those teams exist. The only team that exists from that 1919 season is the Green Bay Packers, and it's because of Neil Murphy. Neil Murphy, you know, being a businessman, he looked for every single advantage he could find. Like he was, he was able to gain sponsorship. Uh, this is a brilliant, brilliant idea here. He was able to to find sponsorship through St. Patrick's Church. And you're going, a church sponsored the team? That makes no sense. Let me tell you why he did it. He knew that with St. Patrick's Church being, and we all know that the Catholic community runs deep there in the Green Bay area, right? It's one of the things that I noticed the first time I went and watched them play the Bears back, I think it was 04, was on Sunday seeing people come out of church in their Packer gear. I just thought it was the coolest thing ever, right? And whether you're a believer or not, whether you're a Catholic, Baptist, Pentecostal, handle snakes, I don't care what your belief system is. That's not what this podcast is about. I'm just saying it was a cool environment stepping in that because I had never been to a Catholic church. Um, I'm not Catholic, but I really, really respect just how passionate people were about their church and then going straight to the Packer game. It was really, really cool. But um, with it being a religious organization and them being the sponsor, guess what that means? That means they're tax exempt. 
it kept Uncle Sam, it kept the government from getting their greedy hands in and making the team pay taxes those first couple of years. And that was vital. And again, that would not have happened if it hadn't been for Neil Murphy and his business experience and having the foresight of thinking, okay, here's how we can save money on the taxes. I just think that's really, really cool. Me being, uh, you know, a constitutionalist, I, I very, I, you know, I, I really appreciate that. I really do. <laughs> so, uh, Ricky Dwyer, you guys heard me talk about Ricky Dwyer being a player that was in a train accident. He lost an arm and a leg, right? Well, on this documentary I watched, Ricky Dwyer actually, the, uh, Neil Murphy's son had a letter that Ricky Dwyer wrote to Neil Murphy from his hospital bed. <clears throat> it said, to Neil Murphy, manager of the Packers football team, even the nurses are with you guys, so go get them. Signed, Ricky. So while this guy was in the hospital, he had a leg and an arm amputated. He wrote a letter to Neil Murphy saying, hey, look, even the nurses are behind you here. We're all excited. And just still being positive about, about his entire situation is, is remarkable. And, you know, the, the benefit game we talked about, um, you know, the Packers had a benefit game for Riggy so they could raise money to help him pay for his medical expenses. Every bit of that game, everything that was put together for that game was organized by Neil Murphy. So it just shows you the kind of man he was and how he cared about people, right? Riggy's brother actually wrote Neil Murphy a, le Murphy a letter thanking him for organizing the benefit game to help his brother with his medical expenses. And Neil's son actually has that letter. It's really, really cool seeing those handwritten letters. And, and think, you know, for the longest time, Neil Murphy was removed from the Green Bay Packers. Not intentionally, he was just kind of forgotten. And thank God Neil's son you know, just thought one day, let me just reach out to him and let him know who Neil was. And maybe, maybe they're unaware, you know, well, Neil's son sent a photo of his father to the manager of the Lambeau Field Atrium. If you guys ever been to Lambeau, the big addition they added in the early 2000s, this huge glass front atrium. It's kind of the business center for the Packers. That was never there before. Um, it's It's been vital to making Lambeau Field this uh, this 365-day-a-year um, tourist destination, and it's really what's made the Packers organization so strong in the last 20 years. But he sent this photo to the manager of the Lambeau Field atrium, just saying, like, hey, look, I, I don't I haven't heard you guys talk about Neil. Let me tell you who he was. Here's a photo of him. Don't know if you guys even have a picture of him. Well, the manager of the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame wrote a letter with a picture, uh, wrote him a letter with a picture of where CM Neil Murphy's photo is now displayed in the Packer Hall of Fame. Okay. Um, and what was so cool about that was was hearing Neil Murphy's son on this documentary talk about it. And as soon as he said the the manager of the of the, of the Packer Hall of Fame at the time wrote him a letter, and then sent a picture of where they had that photo that he sent of his father uh, on display with a, a nice little, you know, I've actually seen it. You know, the, the Packer Hall of Fame has been moved around a lot in the last uh, last few times I've been up there, but they've got a nice display of C.M. Neil Murphy, and it's, a, it's the only photo that the Packers ever had of him, and it's because his son reached out. And when you watch this documentary, his son gets so emotional, and you can just tell it means so much to him. That again, what did we start this episode with? The whole purpose of this history segment, guys, is to find those people people that were um, that were unintentionally removed from Packers history, and let's rewrite them into the history books. So uh, we want to make sure that we never forget the people that came before us, whether it's the Packer fans, uh, managers like uh, C.M. Neil Murphy, 
Um, you know, obviously, you know, people like Curly Lambeau to the great players, to the George Calhouns and the Art Dailies, the Press Gazette, the, the guys that, that really, really laid the foundation for the Green Bay Packers. I just wish we could go back to those days because they said the media at the time, Art Daly and the guys at the Green Bay Press Gazette, they would write very friendly articles to the team. And it was, it was, they were very much homers. They would build the team up and they would find the positives. Even in a loss, they would find the positives. And that's what made people want to come back and watch the game. Nobody wants to go, go to the game when they stink. And that's what bothers me so bad about the Packers media today. And, and this, I'm going to give you a small rant and then we're done with the history segment. But the Packers media today is 180 degrees diametrically opposed to what the media was back in the day when, when the Packers were trying to survive. And it really bothers me. It's like, if you don't like the team, it's one thing to say, man, this was a mistake. Dude, anybody's free to say that. We talk about it all the time. Yeah, that was a swing and a miss right there. We, we talk, but when, when your job is to cover the team, when your job is to, uh, it, it's a, in most cases, it's supposed to be your favorite team, and you act absolutely miserable that you're having to cover them. They can never do anything right. The coach needs to be fired. The GM needs to be ran out of town. Aaron Rodgers didn't didn't get a needle put in his arm, so they should ship him out of town. All this, and most of it, I'll be honest with you guys, most of it is just political bias. It's people trying to push a political agenda. And I'm telling you right now, I cannot stand that, whether it's on the right or the left. And the sooner you realize both of those people are together, the better off you're going to be. But that's just my opinion. But when you start pushing political agendas into sports like that, it just it just robs the joy out of it. It does. You know, if, if you want to talk politics, this is me talking to the writers, me talking to the God, I want to say his name so bad. The other podcasters that try to shove this stuff down your throat and keep people from being free thinking. If you want to do that, go talk politics. Go, go there. Go get you a political podcast. Stop trying to shove it down everybody's throat and wonder why you're getting bashed on Twitter every other day. But that's just my two cents. Anyway, CM Neil Murphy, business owner, um, absolute. I don't. I don't even know what to say. It man. Just a. He was just essential to the founding of the Green Bay Packers, and I'm so happy, so glad that we uh, we found that documentary so we could bring you that information. And uh, like I said, try to help write him back into the to the Packers history books. So there's your history segment for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Give me feedback on Twitter. Send me some DMs. Guys, again, if you're sending feedback and tagging me in tweets, it's, it's kind of hard to, to follow that. Um, send me DMs, and I'll respond uh, immediately. All right? I'm, I'm never too busy to respond to a message. And uh, and like like last week, if you got a story, we'll read it on air and uh, and share that information. Or if you got a question, we'll try to uh, you know tie it into an episode that we do. That way, your feedback is uh, is being put to good use. So appreciate your time on that. Now let's move on to the next segment. But uh, actually, before we have Jacob in here to talk about the 53 man roster, let's take us a, a quick commercial break. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. 
And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, now joining us on the line from Packernet Podcast is our buddy Jacob. How you doing, Jacob? Man, I'm doing good, Clayton. How you doing? Doing good, man. I'm ready to dive into this 53-man roster. And, uh, you know, like I'd said earlier in this episode, uh, every year when we come into OTAs, I feel like I'm always behind the eight ball. I'm always running behind, right? And and I'm like, okay, well, I don't even know who's kind of on uh, on the edge of losing a roster spot, right? And this year I thought, why not do a podcast? And And I know you had mentioned it before me that – Hey, you know, what about what if we cover the 53 man roster? I think it's a great time to do it. You know, we've got another wave of OTAs coming in this week. That way, the listeners and, and even us, you know, as well, can come into this weekend or this week rather and say, okay, um, who's kind of on the cusp? Who should I be paying attention to as far as specific positions? So I'm glad we're doing this, man. I'm excited about it. It'll also give us a, a chance to do kind of a quick refresher on injuries and things like that that might play into the PUP list. Um, just a lot of different angles. So let's just start right off the bat here with offense, man. Uh, obviously, at the quarterback position, last year the Packers uh, on their final roster, and and this guys, this template that I'm going to be using, I know Jacob is as well, is for the same template that the Packers used last year. Okay, the same amount of players on offense at each position, and then we can kind of chat about who might be on on the brink of making the roster or them going out of the the you know the norm, I guess you could say, and adding you know different positions. So. Um, at quarterback, obviously, Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love. You got Kurt Benkert that, uh, you know, could, uh, could you know, possibly make the roster if indeed they were to trade Jordan Love. I don't know about you. I don't see any chance of them trading Jordan Love with the way the market sits right now with with Baker sitting out there and, uh, and you know, teams could, could obviously jump on him. What do you think about quarterback? Is it pretty much just Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love, no chance of a trade? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> that's basically how I see it. If if I think if Love was going to get traded, it would have happened either before the draft or during the draft. I love Kurt Bankert. Love the, like, do you follow that guy on any of his social media? He's Absolutely. a great follow. He's awesome. Um, I hope we could get him to sneak onto the practice squad, but, you know, he's one of those guys that he's kind of, you know, he's made enough eyes look at him that he maybe could sneak onto someone else. If, but it is a really oversaturated market. So like I like you said, I agree. I don't think it's going to happen. I see him just carrying two Rogers and Love. Yeah, same here, man. And and that's what I want personally. Now, if they were to trade Jordan Love, let's say somebody popped up and just broke the bank and said, hey, look, we'll give you a first rounder and a second rounder for him. Right. right. And, and we know that Aaron is planning on playing for the next three to five years. Then, OK, cool. 
um, pull the trigger and go. I just don't see it either. So with their, uh, you know, last year the Packers carried two quarterbacks with that initial 53-man, and it was Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love. That's what it will be this year. So moving on to halfback, this kind of surprised me, and I didn't remember this from last year, but they uh, they actually carried three on that initial 53. Um, right. Who I have is Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, and Kylan Hill. Me personally, I like the idea of having a fourth back, but, again, that's what they did last year with the with the initials. So Aaron, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, Kylan Hill – now we know that Kylan Hill is uh, is dealing with that injury, so we don't know exactly how far along he is there. If indeed he's not ready, then he may start on PUP. And I've got Patrick Taylor. How do you see the halfback? Room? Yep, obviously Jones Dylan. Um, I actually listened to an interview with Ben Sermons, who's the running back coach. He said Kylan Hill will be ready to go when back from injury. Which nice. I guess that means a caveat though was when he's back from injury. But I've been watching the guy's Instagram, his social media. He seems like he's really well uh, far along his recovery. And like you said, I've got in that spot there, I, has, I said Kylan Hill slash Patrick Taylor. I know that they really do like Patrick Taylor as well. And they liked what he did. I think it was the Lions game when he played. So, um, but yeah, he said, the coach said like, he's, he's good to go. And it kind of seems like they have some confidence in him. The guy was a little lightning bug. I kind of like him. Yeah, absolutely. And Patrick Taylor really impressed me last year in the limited yeah. time that he saw. And it, it's my understanding, I, I believe I have this correct, that Patrick Taylor had a foot injury coming out of college. And if it hadn't been for that foot injury, he would have been projected as a third round pick. And yeah. that's pretty impressive in itself. So, um, yeah, I would personally like to carry four backs. But if they go with the same template they used last year, I think you see, like I said, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon and Kylan Hill. If Kylan Hill's not ready, start on the PUP plug Patrick Taylor in and you're ready to go. So moving on to wide receiver last year, they carried six. Um, so uh, the question is, do we carry seven this year? Right. And um, with, with Sammy Watkins, you know, being signed, I kind of feel like he's a, another Randall Cobb in a sense that that was Aaron's guy. It sounds like Aaron vouched for him. So it's almost like both he and Randall Cobb are both safe on this roster. So I've got Christian Watson, Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, Romeo Dobbs, Amari Rogers, and Sammy Watkins. Obviously, on the brink, you've got uh, Samori Torre and Jawan Winfrey. This is a position that I really feel like what I've heard, what I've read, what I've studied on Samori Torre, that we probably should carry seven if we do indeed keep Sammy Watkins. Now, with Sammy Watkins, I do want to mention that when you look at his contract, I actually have it pulled up here on Spotrack, and uh, basically – you know, the cap hits 1.7 million, but there is zero dead cap dollars. So it's my understanding that the only thing you would be missing is that $350,000 signing bonus and the $50,000 workout bonus. If indeed he makes it, uh, you know, I'm not sure what the deadline date is on those, but as far as receiver and them carrying six, how do you see it, man? Uh, dude. I mean, this is one where, all right, I got Lazard, Cobb, Rogers, Watson, Watkins, and dubs. And I mean, a lot of people, sleeping on this on this group i really do think that and i think people are even more sleeping on the backups that we have so you didn't even mention malik taylor who made our starting six last year right and they said uh so jason vrabel is the wide receivers coach he said on thursday that winfrey malik and amari looked literally night and day from last year and then he has personal ties with sammy Watkins. i guess he was integral in recruiting him i think they maybe coached or had each other pass ways in college i think or something along those lines mm -hmm. so i mean you got Six guys that I think, like you said, are locks to make it. But then you look at Juwan Winfrey. I mean, apparently he did an interview when he said that he's very confident that the Packers GM and the Packers front office see a young Devontae Adams in him. That's literally what he said. So he has, he said, I have all the confidence in myself in the world. I'm going to make the team, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know, even if you make 
you know, if you carry seven, I don't know how you get rid of Taylor Winfrey, Samari, or even Danny Davis is apparently is looking good. So yeah. it's a, it's a mishmash there. Absolutely. I'm with you on it. And, and the big thing is Sammy Watkins. Like the name that pops up to me is cut Sammy Watkins as, as much as I was excited to see what he could do with Aaron Rodgers. Right. But at the same time, man, if that's if that's one of Aaron's boys, you know he's going to be on the roster. So it's going to be a going to be an interesting camp, man. So yep. uh moving on to tight end. Um, last year they carried four. I've got Bob Tunyon, Mercedes Lewis, Josiah DeQuara. And Dominic Daphne, obviously Bob Tunyon uh, re, uh, rehabbing that ACL. So behind those four, we've got Eli Wolf, Tyler Davis, and I guess it. How do you say Max's name? His first name, Elise or something like that. Yeah, I don't. I don't I, know. Anyway, Mac. I like Mac. Mac's a cool <laughs> name. So with yeah. that being said, um, if Bob Tunyon does start on the PUP list then you're going to be looking at one of those three. And, and according to the depth charts I've looked at, it seems like Eli Wolf might have the advantage there as much as I want Mac uh, just following him, you know, on Twitter and everything. He seems like a cool guy. But how do you see the tight end position? Man, I got him keeping four, obviously, again. But I think it's going to be Lewis, Tunyon, DeGuara. And then I think they're going to keep Tyler Davis. The way that the Packers tight end coach, John Dunn, talked about Tyler Davis, he was talking about how he was so impressed with him being thrown in. Um mid-season and how he did so well and that the fact that now they have an off-season time you know what I mean they have the whole off-season to go through the program learn what they want to learn what what they want him to learn like the specifics about our our offense and um, I guess again they played together I think he coached the QBs while Davis was at college at Georgia Tech I couldn't quite pin it down in time but I'm they said that they did coach each other so I don't it was either there or at like a you know D2 level or something like that but um nice. yeah I, I I see us taking keeping four but I like that Matt guy too. He's funny. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, on the offensive line, this is where it's going to get tricky. And we're going to try to go quick as we can. But this, there's a lot to talk about here, Jacob. <laughs> so yeah. offensive line, obviously, you got David Bakhtiari, John Runyon, Josh Myers, Royce Newman, Elton Jenkins, Sean Ryan, Zach Tom, Rashid Walker, Jake Hansen, if indeed they carry nine like they did last year. And I've got Cole Van Lannan kind of sitting there on the brink. Now, with that being said, if David Bakhtiari is not ready this year, then we're probably done, just to be honest. Like there, there is now I'm not saying if he gets re-injured. I'm saying if if we come out and it's, you know, week one, even week one of the preseason. And we look up and it's, well, we don't, you know, it's probably best that we leave him off the field because he's still got some, some water on the knee. Dude, we're in trouble with David Bakhtiari. Not saying the, the season's doomed, but it might be just about over for Bakhtiari. I'm hoping he's healthy. Right. So I believe he will be from everything that I've read and heard. So those are my nine. Now, Elton Jenkins, obviously, if he starts on the PUP list, then fade him out and you slide in Cole Van Landon most likely is the way I see right. that. Yep. I've got all the rookie offensive linemen making this roster as it sits right now, right? But the big thing is, for me, do we just carry eight as opposed to nine? You know what I'm saying? And, and add we, a receiver or something, yeah. Exactly. That's one place that we might be able to trim the fat a little bit, uh, no pun intended, talking about offensive <laughs> linemen. But with Rashid Walker, you know, his PFF grade in college last year was a 60. And Jake Hansen, his PFF grade at the pro level was a 67. And we all know Jake Hansen can play center. Now, it's easy to say, okay, if Josh Myers goes down, we got Elton Jenkins, we can plug in there. But if Elton Jenkins is hurt, that really, really increases the value on Jake Hansen. But what do you think you uh, you see here with the offensive line? Yep, I got those same eight. And then my ninth is a fluctuating between Van Lannan and, and Walker. And I, I don't know. It's a toss-up. I think we're – that's one that 
as much as we want to sit here and pretend like we know it's going to happen, I think we just got to see him in camp. <laughs> you know, exactly. uh, I saw Buckus did an interview and he said that they love all the guys that they drafted their versatility and that they're going to plug in into different spots and see what's what's which one sticks. And another real cool thing, real quick, they uh, he went out to Caleb Jones's dad's barbecue restaurant after turning down a recruitment that he tried to get him to go to in Iowa State, I guess. So he has uh, a back history with Caleb Jones. Buckus does. Oh, okay. Good stuff. And barbecue. So that's always good. I'm telling you, man, you digging in deep, dude. I love it. You're, you're like the social media. I don't know, man. It's just like you're, it's espionage. I absolutely love <laughs> the, the information. <laughs> All right. So moving on to defense. Last year, they carried 26 defenders. Um, there was six on the defensive line. Okay. Here's how I would see the top six as it sits right now. I've got Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, Devontae Wyatt, Jerron Reeb. Uh, T.J. Slayton, and the rookie Jonathan Ford. Now, you got Jack Heflin that obviously the coaching staff absolutely loves. I mean, it just seems like he he will not die. He will not go away. So I could see Jonathan Ford and Jack Heflin kind of being interchangeable there if you think that Jonathan Ford could last on the practice squad and not get picked up. So uh, what do you think about the defensive front? Yep, the exact same thing for me. Um, I have Jack Heflin highlighted in a different color um, because I originally kicked Jonathan Ford to the practice squad, but, um, you know, Again, same thing. I think they could be ex- uh, exchangeable there. The only thing that maybe gave a little bit more of a nod to uh, Jonathan Ford was that Jerry Montgomery in his interview said that he was just really impressed by the kid. He, he even uh, Montgomery seems like an awesome coach, by the way. A lot of our coaches seem really like cool dudes. He was talking about how he gets on him super hard, but he knows that he's doing it out of love. So like kind of a love hate relationship. And he said that he, he sees a lot of potential in him. So again, I, I know they like Jack Heflin, but it's going to be interchangeable between those two, but I think they are keeping six. Yeah, absolutely. And when it comes back to, uh, you know, okay, what kind of stands out to me as the abnorm Dean Lowry really sticks out and it's like, okay, do you keep Jack Heflin and Jonathan Ford and you cut Dean Lowry? If you cut Dean Lowry, according to Spo track, you uh you're gonna you're gonna have 3.9 million in dead cap, but his total cap hits eight million. So you're gonna free up roughly four million dollars. Yeah. Now, when you go to the PFF grade, um, Lowry did he uh he finished the season at a 67 on the PFF. So, you know, pretty uh pretty steady, nothing great, but at the same time, I mean, he had one of his better years last year. I, I know he's I think he realizes he's playing for his football life. And uh <laughs> I, at this point, I gotta I gotta put him on the roster. Yeah. All right, cool. So uh, on to inside linebacker. And I tell you what, every time I see Quay Walker's name, I just grin. I love it. I love the mm-hmm. pick. <laughs> but inside linebacker, last year they carried five, okay? Um, so I've got Devondre Campbell, Quay Walker, Chris Barnes, Isaiah McDuffie, and Tariq Carpenter, the new rookie, right? And I think Tariq Carpenter is really going to contribute on special teams. Um, kind of on the brink just outside of the roster, I have Ty Summers. So the thing that makes Tariq so valuable to me, Jacob, and I'm sure you agree, is the fact that he did play safety in the past. Um, yeah. it, there's a little bit of versatility there. If they were to get in trouble and only carry four safeties, which we'll talk about in a second, that's something he might be able to interchange. I'm not saying be, you know, be peak level performance, but it might be just an emergency situation that carries a lot of value with both special teams and versatility when it comes to playing linebacker and safety. But, uh, what do you think about the inside linebackers? Yeah, man. Um, so I was a little torn here after listening to the coach, I listened to uh, a couple of different interviews and obviously we got Campbell Walker Barnes, And then I think they're going to keep Summers and McDuffie, keep five. I think they still think Summers is a quality special teams guy. And I think they're going to keep Carpenter at safety. After listening to the safety coach interview, he thought, and not, not, not like a, a, you know, 
starting safety on every down. He's going to be that hybrid stalking kind of crazy. Uh, <laughs> they've got plans for him. He, he would not stop glowing about, he's like, I've never seen a guy that fast, that big. I've never seen a guy that big, be able to move the way he does. He goes, he can play in the box. He can, if he needs to play free, you know, they won't, they don't really want him to do that. They'd like to keep him more contained and, and let him just kind of use his athletic and just beastness of him. But he was lighting up talking about him. He talked about him for like six minutes. So I think they might keep him just 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 to shift them over like you said we're a little light this year at safety so i think we keep five i think they keep summers and i think they're going to try to make him the heats again he said he's like he's going to be a special teams freak no matter what so that's he's going to find a spot somewhere i think yeah i'm totally on board with that if they if they want to do that and kind of you know it, it, whether he whether he's on the roster as a safety or inside linebacker he's there and we know he can do both to a certain degree so that's that's yeah. exciting or or i could see them cutting summers and then keeping him as a tweener safety inside backup linebacker you and, know that, I mean? and then giving another spot to a receiver exactly exactly and, and you're you're starting to see there's options there to to hit that 7 and 8 mark with wide receivers so we don't lose some of those guys but good yeah. stuff um outside linebacker really excited about this position group man Rashawn Gary Preston Smith, yeah. Kingsley, Enigbar, and Randy Ramsey, Jonathan Garvin are the five that I've got listed last year. That's how many they carried. So again, Gary, Preston Smith, Enigbar, Randy Ramsey, and Jonathan Garvin. Do you think they carry five this year, or do you uh, do you think this is the year they might trim it down to four? No, I think they carry five. Um, I got those exact ones. I just maybe put Garvin a step in front of Ramsey. I think they've they've tried. They've liked Ramsey for a number of years. He just always seems to get either cut due to you know just can't make the team or he has an inner injury right at the wrong time of the season he's got that like wwe style name it's great <laughs> um and then they you know on the on the practice squad i think they slipped what's his name i think it's tipa nalier i think is how you pronounce it which doesn't make any sense in the world and then ladarius hamilton i kind of liked what i saw from him and sparks but yeah i think they keep five i i mean i cannot tell you i think garvin is honestly a little sleepy uh sneaky good people are sleeping on him and obviously Preston and gary and i cannot wait to see kinsley they no, were saying uh the the outside linebackers coach was jacked about watching him he's like he's again got just a great build and he seems like he's he's excited to get him in there yeah me too man i every time i see that name it's just like quay walker i'm like God, what a steal. I really feel like that's going to work out, and I, and I hope I'm right. But uh, moving on to corner, last year they carried six at the cornerback position. So we got Jair Alexander inked to that new deal, put that to bed. I'm so glad that's not hanging over our head for the season. Right. You got Eric Stokes, Russell Douglas. You've got, uh, I think it's called Keyshawn Nixon. Uh, that's the guy that came from Vegas. And you yep. got Shamar Jean Charles and Kabion Ento. So when it comes to Nixon, I think that's going to be someone who was brought in specifically for special teams, but also plays corner, obviously. So I think he's kind of a shoe-in unless it just goes completely south with Basaccia, but it seems like that's Basaccia's guy. Yep. Um, so I've got him carrying six in this scenario. I really don't see a scenario where they carry um, where they carry seven, but how do you see the corners? Yeah, man, I got basically the same five, but I'm going to slip in Ennis Gaines because um, just I know Ento is a guy that's one of those guys that switched from receiver to cornerback and they liked what he did. He's just real raw. I think he maybe needs one more year of refinement. But what's interesting is Jerry Gray in his interviews, he talked about how we have four quality starting cornerbacks. And I was like, well, I know three. Who's the fourth? And then he went in and talked about Keyshawn or Kazon, Keyshawn Nixon, about how he is a quality backup, how he has a great veteran presence. You look at his grade last year, he had a 77.4 PFF grade. Now, granted, he only played around 100 snaps, but he had some about another 35, 40 snaps on special teams. 
And again, that's where Jerry Gray said he will be a special teams star for us. And if he has to start, like he does some great stuff and we've seen it on film and he has the ability to do it. And then Ennis Gaines is a guy that stood out last year that I think almost made the cut. It was Ento and Gaines that were kind of running for that, that, you know, last man standing kind of thing. But I think, you know, bar, especially if we get some injuries, I think both of them could see the field, but I got Gaines just edging out Ento just by a little bit. Nice, nice. Yeah, and I've got gains here on the cusp, so we could kind of interchange those. That's cool about Nixon. I had no idea he scored a 77. I know it's limited exposure, but at the same time, man. Gray loved them too. He talked about them again for like three, four minutes, which I didn't even think. Yeah, he's he's definitely a shoe-in to make the roster, uh, barring any crazy injury or anything. But, all right, moving on to safety, the last position – well, one of the last positions, I should say. They carried four last year. I've got them carrying four this year. Darnell Savage, Adrian Amos, Vernon Scott, and Rico Gafford kind of caught my attention. You know, it's rare that you change – positions like that from uh, you know from from wide receiver to db or db to wide receiver and it seems like at least with my experience when they've done that in the past they end up making the roster obviously sam shields is the more recent one that comes to mind but uh again i've got over on the right side of the column here Tariq carpenter and sean davis but Tariq carpenter is really going to prove to be valuable man if they don't keep rico gafford uh gafford and Tariq carpenter does play that hybrid role safety then it does kind of free up that spot. But uh, do you see that the same way? How do you see the safety position? Yeah, my four were Amos Savage, uh, Vernon Scott, and Tariq Carpenter, just kind of that for that scenario we talked about somewhere along the lines, whether that be in the linebacker spot or whatever other position, shaving off ones so that we could add another receiver. So, yes. and and like, again, I, I cannot wait to see this guy. He's, I think, I, I, love, I don't have his specs in front of me, but I'm pretty sure he's like 6'4", 225, and runs like a 4'5". So, I'm excited. He can just thump people. They said that um, he'll be a special teams like star day one. And again, I, I have Sean Davis maybe taking that role over Carpenter if that was the scenario and they just don't like him for whatever reason. Um, Rico Gafford, I think they maybe have, from what Jerry Gray said, that they were trying to maybe slide him more towards corner, but he's very raw. And they, that one quick thing about him, he said it was really cool because Rico Gafford, he has the mindset of a wide receiver. So like we're cornerbacks and DBs are like, what's he going to do? He flips it and says, what would I do if I'm a wide receiver running this route? And that way he can almost eliminate half of them and then highlight the other ones that he would run. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, that's huge, man. It's the same concept that New England's used for years with quarterbacks playing wide receiver. Randall Cobb, I'm a big Kentucky fan. He was an excellent yeah. quarterback for a short time there at Kentucky. They understand what the quarterback wants, and it makes them better at that position. It's the same exact concept. But um, as we finish up here, we're going to go kind of quick. Special teams, obviously, a kicker bit the dust. So there's, it's down to two kickers, Mason Crosby being one. I'm happy. <laughs> as a possum in a dumpster right now, dude, because I love Mason Crosby. <laughs> I'm just telling you. I, I, I don't want to see it end in Green Bay. I know it, there's going to come a point, but I just don't want to see it. Long snapper, I think Stephen Wordle has the edge on Jack Coco, although, like I mentioned the other day, uh, you know, Ryan had talked about, I believe Jack Coco was perfect in snaps. It's perfect. Uh, college. Yeah, that's that's impressive. So he's going to give Stephen Wordle a run for his money, and you know Basachi is creating that, uh, yeah. that culture of competition. And then, obviously, Pat O'Donnell might be the biggest addition, not for punting, but for holding, it sounds like he's an excellent holder and they're ready yes. to fix that issue this year. So um, anything anything to comment on there with special teams? Yeah, real quick. I mean, just the fact that Crosby and O'Donnell room together, I don't see him cutting that tie. I don't see him creating all that drama. I think those two are shoo-ins. I got Coco over Wordle just because Wordle, eh, I don't care. I like Coco. This is his upside. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, Fasaccio, one of the cool things he said, he uh, just – 
one of those old school BA type coaches, he said that uh, when you go out there, when we're playing, I don't see names on the back of your jerseys. I just see numbers. When you come into my office, then you have a name. So he just is like, that's all, you know, I I don't want to hear no nonsense from you on the field. When you, when you come into my office, then I'll, I'll talk to you like a human, but yeah, I'm excited. I think he's going to turn us around. I do too, man. I'm telling you, coaching is so underrated. Um, with most pos- most most podcasts, it's it's like all they care about is fantasy football. Coaching, coaching, coaching is uh, is really where it's at. So, um, just as we wrap up here, guys, I want to say, um, you know, Samori Torre. Obviously, following the template from last year, I had him not making the roster with this scenario simply because of the Sammy Watkins effect. But I don't think there's any chance that they let Samori, uh, you know, test the market as far as, you know, with waivers and trying to get him on the practice squad. I think he makes a roster. And the reason being, when you look at it, his PFF grade last year for college was 80.9. I mean, that's pretty impressive uh, for him. And he, it sounded like he dominated every stop, you know, with the transfer and everything. He he dominated everywhere he went. He was just a good, good receiver. And then, like I said, Rasheed Walker, his PFF grade was 60. So when it comes down to those two, I would probably replace Walker with Samori Torre, but uh, for accuracy purposes, we wanted to stick to the template that the Packers used last year. So on the cusp, the really the three names that I'm looking at that might might not make the roster that I have making the roster here is cornerback Into, outside linebacker Garvin, and offensive line Rasheed Walker. So it's going to be exciting, man. I'm I'm ready for OTAs and and training camp get, can't get here quick enough, Jacob. But I appreciate your time, man. As always, dude, it's a blast. Yes, sir. We'll see you soon. All right, gang, as we wrap up the show, obviously there's not a whole lot of news coming across the wire. There was a couple of things, though, one being that the Packers released kicker J.J. Molson, so it's now down to two kickers, Mason Crosby and Dominique Iberle. So uh, really feeling confident, like I was talking about with Jacob, that uh, Mason Crosby is is going to be the kicker this year again. Um, I, I just love the guy. I love what he stands for. Hopefully he uh, has a better year this year, and I think he will, seeing that the majority of the issues were – holding, snapping, laces in and out, that type of problem last year. I think we're going to get that fixed with uh, Pat O'Donnell holding. And then obviously we brung in uh, Coco, an extra snapper, to compete with Wordle. So we'll see how that goes. You know, it's kind of, I don't know, I'm kind of uh, kind of in between. You know, I heard what Ryan said and Jacob even uh, confirmed it there that Coco was pretty much a, a perfect snapper as, as far as snappers, uh, you know, snapping the ball in college. That's great. I mean, that's, that's what you're looking for is consistency at that position. Snap the ball accurately and just get in somebody's way should be the goal and uh but you know obviously Wordle has a little bit of experience as well but you know the same as when you bring in a new GM you know they're they're going to want to get their coach they're going to want to get their quarterback to prove how smart they are um I'm not this isn't a knock against Basaccia I love everything the guy represents but Basaccia coming in it kind of feels like when they add new names like this you know like a Coco and then obviously with Nixon who's going to be uh playing special teams there um, coming over from Vegas, that's kind of his guy there. Um, I, I kind of feel like there is a chance that they move forward with Coco. So, again, that's really the only news that we had. Um, but the only other thing is we wrap up the show, gang, is uh, it's exciting because tomorrow OTAs again, right? Um, there's going to be another wave of OTAs. I'm really, really jacked to see who's there. And we're going to get more uh, – you know, a little bit more coverage. I believe, if I remember correctly, uh, some of these OTAs are going to be open to the public slash the media, I should say. Um, you know, I don't think you can go and watch it like training camp as a fan, but the media will be there for a certain portion. So that's going to be exciting to get some reports out. Any news is good news, in my opinion, this time of the year. 
Um, so uh, I could just sit around and watch boring uh, press conferences all day long when it comes to the coaches talking about the the new players. And it's funny, Jacob mentioned, uh, you know, as we went off the air there, he's like, man, this is – I followed the draft so close this year, and I'm looking at these players, even the undrafted, you know, free agents, and, and he's our social media guy. You know, he follows all these players on social media. It, it sucks to see them get cut, and now you kind of know what the coaches feel like when they have to make that cut because you're following them on social media as a fan and as a social media guy like Jacob – what you see is, you know, you see the, the posts with their kids, you see the posts with their spouse and, and what they enjoy doing and just how fun loving most of these guys are. Um, it's uh, it's kind of hard to see them get cut. But uh, that's the that's the name of the game. Like I was telling Jacob, man, it would it would suck to be a coach and have to make those decisions, those life altering decisions for a player that you've come to come to know and love and appreciate the hard work that they put in. So, uh, yeah, with that, guys, that's the show. Hope you enjoyed the history segment with uh, with Murphy, uh, just another unsung hero in Packers history. Jacob knocked it out of the park with the 53-man roster. Um, love having him on the show and, and exciting about the partnership. Uh, excited about the partnership that we're forming up and uh, and creating a little more chemistry. I don't know if you guys noticed, but I feel like we're gelling a little bit more and uh, getting to know each other. Uh, there's there's inside jokes involved now. There's good barbecue uh, tips being passed back and forth. Mainly, when I say back and forth, mainly just him giving me tips because he's the pro at it. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun moving forward. It's going to be a great season. So with that, thank you guys for listening. Like I said, before you guys could be anywhere in the world and you choose to be right here hanging out with us and we don't take it lightly. So uh, as always, let's go out and be the change that we want to see in the world and go Pack Go. Thursday.